everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. My name's Jesse Jones, and on the show today, we have Selena Perez and Great Jones Distilling. That's right, Great Jones out of New York City. Selena and I take a little trip to the Big Apple, and we talk whiskey in New York. It's a great conversation. Selena was so great to give us some of her time. She is busy. She has built this distillery from the ground up through a pandemic. We talk about what it takes not only to build in New York, but to build in New York at a time when everything was harder. So we sit down, we talk about that, we talk art, we talk New York. I lived in New York for a very long time, and I gotta tell you, sitting down with Selena like re-sparked my love for New York City. It was so great sitting there. She embodies that vibe that comes with New York, that can do, will do, gonna do, don't care if you don't want me to attitude. She's been able to craft a delicious whiskey in one of the hardest cities that there is to get things done in, and I applaud her for it. We talk art, we talk whiskey, we talk music, all while drinking some of that great Jones juice. So, Selena, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure sitting with you and just geeking out over whiskey for a little while. She's got stories, man. Every good whiskey maker needs stories that'll blow your mind, and she's got more than a few. So thank you again, Selena. It was a pleasure having you on, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. She brings a lot to the table, and when you throw New York into the middle of it, it's just a good damn time. So you guys get ready for that, because that's on the way. And she let me know, me and Selena, we've kept up with one another since this episode. She reached out. She let me know that the peated whiskey that we talked about during this episode is now available. The peated bourbon, where she has finished the Great Jones bourbon in peated scotch casks. It's available at distillery only right now. So if you're in New York City, this episode is coming out right in time to celebrate Repeal Day. And you'll hear in the episode, that's what put me and Great Jones together to begin with. So stop by the distillery, celebrate Prohibition ending, and pick yourself up a bottle of this bourbon that's been finished in peated scotch barrels. You won't regret it because Selena is another one of those mad scientists of the whiskey world. And you know how much I love talking to mad scientists. So go ahead, go to Great Jones, take the tour. You're not going to regret it. It's like this super awesome old building where they have decked it out from top to bottom with whiskey goodness. So with that, I think it's time to get started, shall we? It's December. It's the first episode of the Bourbon Showdown in December. We're going to be rocking and rolling all through the holiday season. We're going to be drinking whiskey. We're going to be going places. We're going to be seeing people. We're going to be having a damn good time and we're going to bring you with us. We ask that you go hit like and subscribe on all of the things. This is how we keep this show growing, people. I need you guys to go out, spread the good word of whiskey while I'm talking the good word of whiskey, and together we're going to take this thing all the way to the top of the whiskey charts. Is that a thing? Are there whiskey charts? I don't know. I'm sure there are, but we're going to take it there, and I love the fact that you guys are doing it with me. So without further ado, let's get this thing started, shall we? It's Selena Perez. It's great Jones Distilling. It's the Bourbon Showdown. My name's Jesse Jones. Let's start the show. (laughs) 
we have Selena Perez, the head distiller of Great Jones Distillery with us today. Thank you so much for coming on the show and welcome. We're happy to have you. Thank you. Now, you and I were talking a little bit before uh, we got started. I, I've known of Great Jones since you guys opened. Uh, I had the pleasure of attending your uh, end of prohibition party last December. Yeah. And let me tell you, the facility, the arrangements, there's nothing that you guys did half-assed for that event. I mean, the the it's it was gorgeous. You had tarot card readers. You had <laughs> uh, uh, flapper. You had like a Cirque du Soleil flapper thing happening right in the middle of, of the vats. It was gorgeous. Or the stills, it was gorgeous. Yeah, there was uh, there's so much uh, so much of an outside production that um, that came in. I, I walked around and not a single person knew who I was. <laughs> um, just interacting with people. So, so that was you know that was really good, sort of to be anonymous and not have to like you know be on. Yeah, exactly. I was just somebody enjoying the party, enjoying the festivities, getting drunk. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, uh, as everybody was making their way through the tasting rooms, uh, me and the team found ourselves in the tasting rooms like they there was no leaving it was more of just a and we're still here could we have more of that please <laughs> yeah yeah every every room is turned into its own little cocktail bar that's serving a different thing and that and the whole distillery is a maze you know there's um there's sub layers that like you don't even have access to um or the restaurant where the main kitchens are and stuff, but it is so easy to get lost. It's the beauty of an old building in New York, right? Like the yep. history of that building probably goes back 200 years, 150 years. Yeah. Um, it was like, it was like a shoe store for a really long time. And it's really hard for me to understand how a shoe store could have used these five stories. <laughs> I mean, like it just didn't really, it seemed like most of it must have been just storage for them, but like a freight elevator and stuff. Maybe like the shoe biz was a lot crazier. <laughs> I, it, uh, the 20s is when shoes thrived. <laughs> right. And um, even so, like when we were uh, redoing a lot of the sub or the cellar floor, um, we found a tunnel that went underneath the alley, the Great Jones Alley. And um, we had to have it filled in because it compromised, you know, the... Um, uh, the strength of of the of the alley, which would where I drive my forklift, you know, and I carry like three thousand pound loads, so uh, we had to block it up. But it's it's still there, like the little tunnel room you can see. That's awesome. Hey, that, that's the other thing I would think. Like you guys are the first legal distillery in New York City since Prohibition. I'd have to imagine some of those tunnels were used for running booze back in the day. Yeah, all all sorts of things, probably for sure. Um, we're actually the first legal whiskey distillery. Um, there was, there wasn't a vodka distillery that's, I think not no longer a production facility, but I do have their head distiller working for me and she is amazing. So oh, that's all, awesome. it, yeah, it all ended up being good. Well, I mean, and that's kind of where it starts, right? With the whiskey. So, yeah. so tell me how, how did you, what was your trip to Great Jones? We'll talk about how Great Jones made the trip from uh, back from Prohibition to Whiskey. But how about you? How, how did you get into the game? So I was working um, at Oni's Rum Distillery in Brooklyn. Um, uh, out, it was like my third, maybe, I think my third distilling job. And I was there for maybe six years. But in the middle of that, um, Proximo, which owns Great Jones, came in and purchased Oni's. And... Uh, 
they kept me on and I became production supervisor there. Um, and then when that closed in the end of June, 2019, they moved me to this project. Um, Bridget still wanted to have the Oni's brand and, you know, she was uh, Bridget Furl, so my boss. Um, so we sort of split up and I started working on um, creating, you know, grain bills and stuff like that and being on the construction site, um, sourcing equipment, like uh, designing hard piping, like a lot of like engineer type stuff um, where I work with a group of tradespeople doing process piping and, you know, deciding like what sort of drains. It was like a very, it was, it was amazing to get to build a distillery, you know, and like me and my boss, um, he had come visit. This was during COVID, right? So right. getting the sourcing stuff was really hard. Like our, you know, um, supply chains were down. You know, trucking everything cost a million dollars. Never showed up on time, and we'd be going out to eat because you know all the restaurants were outdoors at the time, and like nobody, you know, we'd be talking about whiskey, and people would be like, oh you know about whiskey and he's like she builds distilleries <laughs> and like people, like people just it's so i'm like not the sort of person i think that you look at and is like oh we probably have a contracting job or something but uh <laughs> very, it was very cool i mean i don't see my i mean i hope i get to do that sort of stuff again you know work on these expanding projects that proximo has has uh scheduled for the future well, I mean, it's hard enough to build something in New York in the best of times, uh, right. much less to get it put together during the worst, <laughs> yeah, the, the the worst global catastrophe in a hundred years or whatever they called it. You know, yeah, it was it was wild, like uh, getting engineers in from like or like people come in from Vendome and they mm-hmm. like couldn't mm-hmm. fly in, so they like drive across state lines and just like you know. This is what this is how we're going to do it. We're going to get it done, and we did. And then the Suez Canal thing was another big hiccup that happened during. Oh that yeah, time. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was getting like a hopper auger thing shipped from China, and like all, like all the like, um, I guess shipping passages were just like messed up and like backlogged. It was uh, it was a crazy time for sure. Well, and. But to your point, how awesome is it that you were able to basically put the put the distillery together to your specs, like the way you wanted it to be? And you're now uh, distilling whiskey in New York City. How did you get into distilling? Because your background was not you didn't start out a distiller, did you? Uh, No. Um, So I went to art school and um, after after NYU, I found it really hard to get anything, you know, so I, I took like painting and animation, photography, um, film, and I just really didn't, wasn't making enough money to pursue those things. And I couldn't find a great job in any of those industries mm-hmm. um, because I worked mostly uh, work study for NYU. So I was like the AV tech and the photo, the darkroom tech. So I like trained people on equipment. And um, so afterwards I just started, you know, bartending and stuff. So, you know, I definitely already have an interest in machines and and technical aspects of things. Plus I was an artist and then I got into the liquor world um, and the food world. You know, I worked as a cheesemonger um, and I started making bread Then I worked at a brewery Then I started making my own whiskey. Then I got hired as a head distiller and it like all sort of just came together very seamlessly. Um, And 
distilling really lets me use all those things, you know, the artistry, because that's what cooking is. That's what like making alcohol is. It's art to me. Um, and my love for food and liquor, as well as like fixing machines every day, you know, like fixing pumps, boilers, technical data. Um, Isn't yeah. it wild how that taps into that same piece of our brain that puts art together m- makes for a, and you wouldn't think it be this way. You wouldn't right. think that the same way of thinking that allows you to paint is the same brain that is very good at putting shit together. Uh, right. uh, I'm, I'm the same way. I was an art major and uh, there's something about, there's something calming. Uh, you get the same calm from putting something together uh, nuts and bolts as you do putting the paint to the canvas or, or whatever medium you're working in. It's like that same sort of soothing, uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it for your brain. It just calms you down. Right. But then there's also the very technical aspects of like, you know, um, this goes there, this goes def- here, def- cohesion, field, right. You know, cold colors in certain areas. So there's a very technical aspect. Art is not just, you know, doing whatever you want. You have to learn techniques. You have uh-huh. to like, mix your own paints you have to put together your own canvases like sculpture i like you know i was welding in in college and i was making plaster molds and using saws mm-hmm. you know drills and all sorts of things and uh it's you know it's a lot tougher than i think like perception por- yeah as portrayed you know we're not like we're pretty we're hands-on you know oh yes well it's it's split into two categories there are the people that take it seriously and they are hands-on and they are the ones that go forward and and do something like yourself where you're actually utilizing uh uh, the brain power to create and then there are some of those that we we were in those lectures or we were in those uh um oh man i've been out of it so long now i can't even remember when we would sit around and there would be that one guy that had not done anything and he would try to bullshit (laughs) his way through uh well what i meant by the white canvas was the singularity of mankind. And you're like, nah, dude, you just didn't fucking do it. We get it. It's fine. Yeah, no, there, there was always those discussions. It's where, where you would have some very thought out piece of art that you spent time on that like was great, but maybe like more traditional. And then somebody comes in with something like really deconstructive and um, abstract. And it, you're like, well, I, I feel like, you know, knowing what your other pieces have been that like, you're just a bad artist, but they'd be like, no, it's the ah, idea. Ah, and like, it's bad on purpose. I could draw what you draw. No, like, you can't. I think you can. But- <laughs> <laughs> What's that quote by Picasso that you've got to like, learn? I'm going to butcher it. Cause I haven't thought about this in a while, but you've got to learn how to do it before you can break it. Like you've got right. to learn how to paint before you can do what he was doing with some of his uh, later works. Yeah, there's, I think, like, a painting from his blue period at the Frick that he painted when he was 16, and it's, like, by God, it's, like, the one of the most, like, realistic, like, amazing. You're just, like, okay, yeah, so you you having those tools can go and decide to not use them. Exactly. But they're, but they're there. I don't know. I, I, I know that there's, like, uh, people in the art world that disagree, but that's just me because I feel like, I, I like the technicality of it. I like completely, but yeah, the professionalism of it. Well, I, I think for my brain, I love how it goes together. Like you can put something on, like you just said, you can throw a bunch of shit on canvas and somebody just be, and, and that just doesn't, you just threw stuff on a canvas. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I like the balance of the whole thing. I, I like the cohesion of this goes here because it complements this. This is supposed to go there, uh, whether it be realistic, whether it be uh, I've been huge into um, collage, like since the I don't know, something about the pandemic just made me want to like rip up a bunch of shit and see if I couldn't put it back together in different ways. Uh, yeah. During but, the Dada period, there's so many great collage art going on. And like, it, I think that people sort of look down on it because you are using these found objects and stuff like that. But it's it's so much really, really cool imagery, you know? Well, I, I, I'm absolutely infatuated with David Carson right now. And I, I, I have been for quite some time. And it's it's just that idea that you can create something and then break it yourself like like take something you've created break it apart and then use those pieces to create something new that you're also doing i don't know it just kind of uh it it, it i like it uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know that, and that's, that's good enough like that i think across the board i feel like that art that needs explaining to a person is not beneficial to people who do not have the tools or the conversation of the history of art memorized from going to school. And like the same with like, I don't know, whiskey. If I was going to say it, this goes hand in hand with exactly. putting together a good whiskey. You know, if some, if, you, if you're like, Oh, this is good because it's like these reasons and someone tastes it and says they don't like it. That's their opinion. And they should stay by it and not let anybody else tell them otherwise. And you drink what you like. It doesn't matter how expensive it is or like what, you know, Completely, completely. And, and I think that's one thing. The whiskey industry is full of some amazing people. And the distillers are uh, uh, like a family, for lack of a better way of saying it, uh, because I've not met anyone in this industry yet that it's not like they really want it to be the best it can be. They want the whole industry, uh, you know, uh, high tides raise all ships or whatever other saying okay. I just butchered. But the... Um, I, I, I do get kind of let down sometimes when consumers don't trust what they like and yeah. and that there can be a culture of of, oh, you don't get this note. It's like right. that's not that's not what it's about. Like what you taste is what you taste and, and yeah. own it. That's you. That's that's your palate. Uh, you, wherever you are in your little whiskey journey, that's a you know, you might be at the beginning. You might be at the middle. You're going to taste different things. That's part yeah. of it. Yeah, but I feel like like the not like people feel intimidated by the like by this sort of the gate the gatekeeping of the community, you know, where it's mm -hmm. like it's a cool kids club, and it's like you don't want to pretend that you don't know. So like, right? So someone's like, this is you know this thousand dollar bottle. This is what you should be drinking. You're like, I don't know, man. I like I like the twenty dollar bottle. I was gonna know? say give Evan Williams bottled and bonds just as good in my book. <laughs> I love Evil Williams, man. Hell yeah. The the two, I think it's it's like uh, the the pageantry of it because you'll walk into uh, it's not like you're going into an Applebee's if you're having good whiskey. You might be, right. but but you know what I mean. Like you're going right. in, it's probably going to have like this beautiful posh, uh, like 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 the Great Jones Distillery is absolutely gorgeous, just yeah. like mahogany and that prohibition style like when you go in there uh you want you want to be a part of it like you want to be uh uh right when you're tasting something so that you can be involved in the conversation uh 
it's it's just I think taking people's internal uh, that that little voice in their head and turning it down for a minute or two so that they can properly connect with what they're drinking and and not be so nervous about saying the wrong thing. Right. Yeah, and I, I think at the beginning, especially, um, we still get this, but because um, everything's so shiny here, like on my on like the production floor, so many people come in and they're like, "This isn't a real distillery. They're not." <laughs> making whiskey here like we are we just clean a lot (laughs) (laughs) which also goes back to the new york part of it uh so i can only imagine all of the regulations and that go along with distilling uh, uh, a combustible product in the middle of of tall buildings right two resident we're sandwiched between two residential buildings with like minimum five million dollar price tags on like the worst apartment in each one you know good lord and and we luckily have a good relationship with them um, and they were um, there from the beginning. Um, so we have agreements with them and we uh, went out of our way to uh, be at the forefront of, um, of safety. You know, we have an explosion proof still room. We have uh, all of our liquid goes gets funneled into tanks in the bottom, in the basement that then we test. We have LEL sensors that sniff on every wall. Um, that will shut off our boiler if there's vapor. We have flame arresters on every tank, you know. That's awesome. Uh, you, you've, yeah. you've thought it through. You're doing it the right way. And and when did you guys, when, when did your first uh, whiskey come out? When did your first product from the still hit hit the shelf? It has yet to hit the shelf. Oh, so, so, okay. So, so the stuff that is in the bottles right now, uh, was made at Black Dirt Distillery, which is our sister distillery. So they've been laying down the recipe that we have in the bottles uh, in, in ante- anticipation of our opening because um, we knew what we wanted to put in the bottles. And so we started barreling early on so that when we released, yeah, we had we had the luxury of having another distillery, uh, our distillery, uh, throw, throw a lot of liquid down for us. So, um, but the stuff that's actually distilled here maybe a couple years. Okay. That's great though. And that's a lot of, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day that it takes a lot of money to make whiskey and it takes deep pockets to put something out there and, and have it be good. The fact that you guys have a sister distillery that you can reach out to and be making your mash bill as while you do it the right way, yeah. on your own campus is yeah. is absolutely huge it, it prevents you from having to um worry about the financial strain of not having anything uh uh in the bottle for four years so that you can you can still thrive and make money yeah no I, i'm very very lucky to be part of a company that can do that um because also what it allows me to do is uh, while they still run recipes of ours, um, I get to be like an incubator for more creative projects. So I run a bunch of different grain bills and I, you know, in a couple of years when we start to open them, if we like them, we can scale them up. Of course. And, and use our continuous column up at Black Dirt, you know? So I, I, get, to, I get to be the artist. Yeah, <laughs> you get to play know, with like, the funk. Totally. Uh, what, what, what's the weirdest thing you've put together so far? Because you strike me as somebody that likes to try a bunch of things. Like, what, what's the weirdest combo where you've, you've sat back and be like, holy crap, this is phenomenal? 
Uh, I so I um on my birthday, last was it last year? Um, we had like uh we had some important people coming in and we didn't have anything to run. It was like really last minute. So I would like to call this the kitchen sink recipe. I just took like the I just had all this rye on me and I had a little bit of like specialty stuff and I just you know we just filled up a couple of fermenters. So we have. And after we tasted it, and we're like, all right, this is good. So now we have, so we kept making it, <laughs> and we, we you know, <laughs> um, and we, we probably won't. I don't know if we'll, we'll ever make it again. After that, we did a cherry wood smoked rye oh. um, with a. Uh, it was weeded, a uh, very small amount of cherry wood uh, smoke because uh, I feel like those things can be fatty. Yeah, you know? a, a little can go a long way. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, I've been working on more subtle recipes for sure. That is so badass that you're just able to like, they're putting a lot of faith in you for the future of the brand. And right. and just to hear you talk about how you're, you're able to get in there and play with it the way you want to. It's awesome. It, 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 I'm, I'm envious of your position right now. Yeah. I, I, I think I do get a lot of artistic freedom, if not, all artistic reading on the stuff that was made here, but also um, just the trust that they have in me is is pretty phenomenal. And um, yeah, I think it motivates me to work harder, if anything. That's that's just so cool. And I, I love going back to New York. I, I, I was in New York for about 15 years. We just left. We just missed the pandemic, honestly. Like we left a little bit before the pandemic. And every time I go back, I always love finding the new whiskey spots in town. Uh, and of course, you can never remember the name of them because I, I don't know about you. Me in New York was always more of a muscle memory. Like I, <laughs> I remembered where I was more so yeah. than I remembered the name of where I was. Oh, totally. Yeah. So I found this little place uh, just south of Houston. It's actually not too far from you. It's just a little further uh, uh, east where it's it's maybe the size of a railroad apartment. It's just whiskey from shelf to shelf. Uh, it, it, it 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 I'll never remember the name of it, but I could I could walk you there right now if I was in New York. It's called Copper and Oak. Copper and Oak. That's exactly. I live uh, uh, straight from there. <laughs> yes, it's it's so. Fr is it that close? I I know I. Uh, by the time I left the prohibition party, uh, my uh, my ability to tell time might have been a little skewed. Yeah, but yeah. I knew it was close by. Uh, it, it just the the dude that works there is phenomenal. His knowledge base is phenomenal, and and those little finds are what I miss about living in the city. Yeah, I was actually drinking whiskey there when uh, my boss called me to tell me that they were promoting me to the head distiller position. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And, and which you've been on a journey, like you were, uh, remind me of the time frame that you were with widow Jane. Um, so I started with them 11 years ago. Uh, I believe in August, almost to this day. Really? Yeah. It was, it was late August or early September. I think it was still summer. I think it was August. Um, and it was sort of crazy. I had gone to like some event that they had and I had met the investors and stuff. And I was like, oh, I'm distilling in my house and stuff. And they're like, oh, we need a distiller. Do you want to 
do you want to like come in and interview? And I was like, sure. And they're like, all right, you know, for your resume, instead of a resume, I brought a jar of whiskey I made. Yes. And I just handed it to them. And they were like, can you start next week? And it was like so surreal. I was like, I remember running down the street, like screaming, like a crazy person. Um, but I was only there for a little over a year. Which, um, which is also what I love about New York is that you were running down the street cr- screaming like a crazy person and nobody even batted an eye. They were like, oh, another totally. one. Right. Totally. <laughs> Just a normal Tuesday afternoon. Well, and also, I don't want to gloss over the fact like I know you said that you were uh, making baking bread and making beer and making whiskey. I did not know that this was happening in your apartment. Oh, yeah. Was- how how. We, maybe your apartment's bigger than mine was. How were you making whiskey in your apartment? Because I barely had enough room. Uh, if I could bake a loaf of bread, then that would be pretty impressive. Actually, my apartment was very tiny. I was living in Chinatown at the time. Um, but I was I was just, you know, a regular five-gallon, like, bucket for a fermenter. And I had, like, a three-gallon, uh, like, pot still with, like, a lead big condenser so you bribe you like um you use an aquarium pump submerged in like ice water to like go up against the vapor stream that's oh my god mad scientist that is absolutely <laughs> all were you were you on the roof or were you just were you just willy willy nilly in the uh in the apartment my apartment used to <laughs> <dumped> up. <laughs> yeah. i love it oh i love it so much <laughs> yeah those are wild times man so you you went from homebrew to Widow Jane, yeah. and and what did you do in your year there? Like like what what now? When did okay? I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm gonna let you tell it. Uh, you're with Widow Jane. How are you learning how to distill? Like who who were you learning from? So I guess the first couple batches we made there were all rum because they hadn't started making whiskey. But I guess there, the the idea was to start making whiskey. Um, and the first batch we made, there was no, <laughs> there was no, um, nobody had ever thought about what we would be doing with the mash after we distilled it. So we have a still full of great, like, you know, urban mash that's like 200 and something degrees and we don't know how to separate it where we're going to put it who's going to take it and i had worked at um uh the italy birria on the other like microbrewery on the roof um just like for free because i was cheesemongering below so like they'd let me work and like learn stuff um and they used a farm arcadium uh that would just pick up all their grain so they started doing that as a favor to us and like giving us free sausage and stuff like that um, but then we deal. had Dave, Dave Pickerel come in and like, we had a little more guidance with that. Um, he was there for a week, maybe. Um, and then, yeah, we just started coming up with experimental grain bills and filling up these little 10 gallon, 20 gallon barrels. I forget the exact size, but they were like tiny. And um, I guess it went from there, but we did have to like come up with, I say we, because it was me and um, a brewer who was hired and we were like sort of the dual, we worked together. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess we, we, we put down a whole year of barrels 
That's awesome. And I, I love how Dave Pickerel shows up everywhere. Uh, the godfather of, of craft distilling, uh, RIP. He, he, his fingerprints are, are all over the place when it comes to the whiskey that we're all enjoying right now. Yeah, he, I, me and him, this is a crazy story, but we went to Tails together and flying back, we were in a commercial plane crash and crashed into LaGuardia Airport. There's like a Wikipedia page about it. What? Yeah. You, 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 you crashed a plane with Dave. That, that's we were, amazing. Yeah, we were passengers. We like had to jump down that big slide and everything. It was, and we were so hungover because, you know, Tails, man, it's like five days of drinking. <laughs> We both had the shakes like crazy. And then it's like, oh, great. Of course. Where, where, where do you get a drink in a closed airport? <laughs> oh, I love it. I can't think of anything worse than being that hungover and then having to deal. It would almost be annoying. Like, ah, the plane's crashing. Come on. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely amazing. So you went from Widow Jane and yeah. and how long have you okay so my timeline where did you go between widow jane and great jones or was great jones next i worked for uh jackie summer at uh, jack from brooklyn making a sorrel or doing his like diatomaceous filtration for him and his bottling and labeling um and then at the same time i started working at oni's okay and then okay I went full time to oni's and then to great jones Okay. Okay. So you've, you've done everything like you, you've been in the, um, well, I mean, that's what a great distiller has to do, right? Like you've got to be able to build a distillery as well as make the booze. Like it's not a singular job when you've, when you're wearing the big hat. Especially for startups, it seems, and, and I've been with very young companies and it is about finding solutions to things because you can't always afford to get like the boiler tech in or like you know you just gotta you gotta you gotta make it happen gotta improvise yeah exactly so i've learned a lot about uh, all the technical things that make that make a distillery work function which is why coming into this project from the ground floor well not so much i think a lot some of the equipment was already but like getting to make those decisions knowing what my issues are with like previous builds or previous projects that didn't have the like correct equipment that you inevitably do have to invest in after you realize that you were just being cheap or, you know, like Uh there's a lot of these things that only like you can only get from experience. Very well said. And I, I think so much of great whiskey makers would completely agree with that because at 2 AM when something gunks up or boils over, you that's you like they're going to call you to figure out what to do and you have the uh, benefit of being able to have put it together (laughs) so you're pretty sure what that knob does because you're the one that installed it right right and then when you know when things break i you know i so like when i get my knuckles tattooed it's going to say rtfm read the fucking manual because i don't think there is a single thing a person cannot do that like you cannot just learn from reading you know like if you can't fit you you can always troubleshoot it and if you can't then you move on to the next level i mean obviously be safe don't play with live wires well yeah but like that that goes on the other knuckle that goes on the other knuckle uh (laughs) dplw read the fucking manual don't play with live wires that's your freaking uh (laughs) yeah but um 
that that's like really helped me uh, just in general, because I can call the plumber and I can call the HVAC guy and I can call the chiller guy if I don't know a solution and they know they can walk me through it. Right. And that, right. That they don't have to show up and that they don't have to like come in and waste their time for a day when they're like, Selena can do it. You know, that's that's not only is that awesome that you know how to do that, but it's efficient. It, there's yeah. a lot of things that you can't afford to lose a day with when you're in your business. So th- the fact that you can just, you know, hey, this is doing this. Turn it. Call- OK, cool. Done. Thank you. Like that, right. that's beneficial to getting shit done. Yeah. And that's you know, that is the that is what I love about when I find people like that to work with me and for me that I can just like that that they will try and solve a problem that they will like try and like do it before calling me or mm-hmm. before like you know ex- escalating it because oftentimes maybe they have a solution that I didn't think of and there's no reason that they shouldn't think that they have the ability to do that you know so the art of so, empowerment right yeah G- give your team the ability to fix it before they call you i mean that that's what a good leader does is they empower the team to think for themselves and think in the way that you have hired them to think Exactly. Sink or swim, you know, like- that's that's the industry. And I love the fact that New York has been blowing up in the past 10 years with good whiskey. It, it, I, I I claim New York, even though I'm not there anymore. And it's just so uh, you, you're you know, you're kind of proud to see that you've got the whole state just kicking ass. Uh, yeah. You've got you guys, you've got Widow Jane, you've got Taconic up top. There's just all these places and all of you have the same passion uh, for making good spirits. Like none of it's just, let's see if we can. It's like, nah, let's make it the best it can possibly be. And it, it, it's just awesome to see. Yeah, there's also a lot of really great technological advancements happening in like agriculture with the farmers. And like now there's like actual uh, like malters and stuff, maltsters like yeah. uh, popping up everywhere. And so like you really do have uh, more of a choice. You know, it's not like, you, you you know, you can only buy one grain because there's a one farmer, the one region, you know, now we've got like options and, you know, people are excited about it, are excited about that. Like we're all working together, you know, the brewers, the distillers with the farmers, you know, like we, we have better power and strength and strength in numbers, you know? Well, and it's almost like we've come full circle to the time before prohibition when you did not have a singular distributor handling all of the pieces that go into the barrel. Like back in the day, you could uh, farm your rye from whoever the hell was making it in the area that you were in. You, you, you know what I mean? Like back yeah. when there was more craft than there were national and there was every region had their local distillers producing with the product that they had at hand. Uh, right. And with this whole, I, I, I love that we're getting back to a farm to table approach with whiskey, because to your point, you're, you're able to get that wheat from here from this guy, not that guy. Have the choice to pick your ingredients as you want them to create something funky and create something different. I think that's why this little boom, little boom, this gigantic boom that we're in right now is not slowing down. It's it's the versatility. Yeah, for sure. I I feel like this is really like sort of like the hair metal era of like bourbon, you know, like we got so (laughs) much going on. 
it's almost like when like uh, the brewers first started to like bubble, I think it was like 20 years ago when all those these breweries started popping up. Mm-hmm. And you just had the weirdest stuff coming out, you know, like like who could have the most international bitter units in right. like an IPA and stuff like that. So I, I think that that's also really happening right now. Completely. And, and the beauty is uh, the difference between what this industry is doing and, and what the beer industry was doing is the vintages, I, I, I believe. And I've said that before. It, it, it's, you know, how after you had so many IPAs, you were like, all right, now I'm just really, really full. And I, I never want to see an IPA ever again. Right. Uh, uh, and, you know, then you do the same thing the next day. But still, the, the principle is there uh, where if you make something funky and you age it and then you do it again, the next barrel is going to be similar, but not exactly the same. Yeah, it's you true. Can, you can sell 2023 and then sell 2024 and people will buy both because it's going to be just different enough that I want both bottles. Yep. Yeah, I mean, like the seasons of like of like of harvest and stuff like that. But then, like even just placement in the rickhouse, like you know, it we'll have like four barrels on a palate, and then we'll tap all of them, and they all have different flavor profiles. You know, like one will be like really gingery, and then it'll be like mellow. One will be boring, you know. And it's like the really fun part about blending is like picking out those special ones and putting them together. And then the other ones like, you know, maybe balancing them out with something else. And like, just the ability to like, I mean, it's like a kid in a candy store. Like it's so, it's such a fun part of my job. It's a little aggressive though. I'm going to have to say. Um, (laughs) Well, blending always scares me. Like, like I, I can wrap my head around the math of, of distilling, but with blending, it's always, which again, it goes back to the fine arts background. There is that thing, you know, when you put too many colors together and they get muddy, Yeah, that's always my worry when I'm putting stuff together is like, okay, a little bit of rye. That's good. Ooh, a little bit. Let's put a little more corn in. That's good. Uh Oh, uh Oh, I I just, I'm always nervous that I'm going to just completely fuck it up. Huh? I've never, I've, but that's again, I'm not trained. I'm doing this from just uh, uh, that is I'm always worried when when I'm playing on my own that I'm just going to go too far in one direction and not be able to recover from it. Yeah. Yeah. And then like after you've already developed like tasty notes and stuff for these various barrels in six months, that those are all going to change. You know, the wood's going to pull something out or push something back in or, you know. It's just it's constantly, constantly tapping barrels. Which sounds like a wonderful problem to have. Right. Like, what did you do today? I drank whiskey from the time I got to work till the time I left work. What did you do after work? I went to a whiskey bar and drank whiskey. whiskey yeah, <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Well, and, and on that note of mixing art and whiskey, tell me a little bit about how the Basquiat collaboration the Basquiat limited edition came came into existence um so this was a put together by uh, someone on our team and um, then they came to me because what um we have this barrel finishing program that is uh very experimental uh, we have a lot of different casks coming in um we're trying to um you know 
like I said, it's, it's really, it's hair metal. We're trying to push boundaries. We're trying to be creative and trying to like, you know, not, not redefine, but, you know, find, fine tune the many ways in which we can make whiskey. So besides it being a grain bill, it's also, you know, can we, can we finish this rye in this like French, French barrel, you know, because also the TTB allows that to be included in the age statement these days. Right. Um, so it sort of, it sort of came together seamlessly because Basquiat was always pushing the boundaries of art and was always being creative and out there and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, so it just seemed like a really, really good collaboration. Not only that, but being here in like the epicenter of like New York City, like across the street, like where, you know, he was making his art. We're we're making ours, you know. Perfect. Oh, it's got a beautiful nose, nice and creamy. Got some spice, got some of that sweet corn coming through. Yeah. very nice nose like a very full-bodied nose i hate giving we were talking about it earlier i hate i i never want to be that person that says it smells like a a, a, a dewy morning in april on a sunny afternoon <laughs> i i try to keep it crisp in that it is a a fragrant nose with a wonderful amount of corn coming through and a beautiful hint of spice at the end of it it's what's 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 the mash because it's got almost like a um cream soda uh, nose to it it's um it's mostly uh yellow corn and then equal parts uh rye and malt okay beautiful cheers Hello. i know we've both been drinking this entire time let's let's go in one more time it, you know it's friday it's three mm-hmm. o'clock mm. wonderful balance to it cohesive texture not too thin not too viscous like a very smooth sipper and yeah, you just let your ingredients shine through. You get the sweet from that corn. What what, yeah. what was the what was the percentage of rye? Because I'm trying to pick out. You're getting a note of pepper, and you're getting a note of that allspice, but it really is the sweet of the corn that's that's the star of the show. It's got a beautiful drinkability to it. I dig it. I dig it a lot. Thank you. And we got tours coming through. Oh yeah, that's awesome. That's right because you guys are open. Like I like. When did you guys open your doors to the public? Uh, it was so the the distillery officially opened uh, August of 2021, and then the restaurant opened I think October, or it might have been delayed because there was a big COVID bump <laughs> that December. Right, uh, it boomeranged yeah. a few times. Yeah, it was real fun. Uh, I was like one of the only managers that did not get COVID. So I came here every day. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I, good yeah. good for you. Yep. Empty building, just doing my work. <laughs> uh, I, I have so many friends that are still up there and I made all of them mad at least once when I would be complaining about not being able to do anything. And they'd be like, oh, you mean in your house with right. your family and all of the and the dogs and the and the room. I've, I've got a roommate and, and his name's Carl and we hate each other and we've been stuck together for two and a half years. So yes, take, take your complaints and turn them sideways. Yeah. During, uh, during COVID I bought a moped and I started rebuilding 
vintage mopeds and working on them. And <laughs> there were no cars in New York, so you could ride all over the city. Oh, that's it, amazing. It was, it was like a dream because the, the gas stations were still open. Yeah. But there, were, there was no traffic. I would just go down the avenues hitting every green light. Was it, was it almost crazy. eerie? Was it almost like the Omega Man set in New York? Yeah, it was definitely like post-apocalyptic, you know, like we were gang with our, you know, stinky moments. <laughs> oh, man. I, I can't even imagine how serene that must have been, just having the biggest city to yourself, completely post-apocalyptic. Completely post-apocalyptic, yeah. Even like our ragtag group of people seemed like, they're in like Mad Max or something, you know, like all, all cobbled together. Uh, just replace like uh, muscle cars with um, uh, leather leather bondage outfits with with mopeds and whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whiskey is absolutely delicious. Uh, what what what's next? Like like what, when will we be able to try some of this mad scientist stuff that you're putting down? Um, we're coming out with a, a peated bourbon. So it, they've been aged in scotch casks. Yeah. Coming out this month, I think. Oh, uh, now you're talking my language right there. Yeah, it's really good. It's really like sort of uh, meaty, but it's not like overly scotchy. You know, it seems like the bourbon and the barrel sort of like, like they didn't hit heads, but you can see that they were working together. Like I, I, it's hard to explain. It's. It's hard to tell where one star stops, starts and one stops, you know? Right. So they, they both maintain their character mixed together. That's awesome. That's good. So you're able to get the peat without it taking over. Right. It's still a bourbon, but it's, a, you know, we got, we got some peat meat, not like not a lot of car tire, not a lot of exhaust, not a lot of like cigarette smoke. <laughs> it's just a little, it's got some meat on it. Yeah. You know? There you go. There you go. Uh, that was actually like when I first got into whiskey to begin with, the PD or the Scotch, the better. Like like yeah. all of the Lafroigs, all of the Lagavulins, all of the things were always my jam. So anything with a little bit of that peat meat to it, I'll be on board. I was, uh, I drink a lot of Cuddy Sark. <laughs> a lot of Cuddy's what? <laughs> Cuddy Sark, like really, really cheap Scotch. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I I worked at this dive bar in Brooklyn for three years, and there were, the Scot Scotch collection was not great. So that's badass. <laughs> so when did you get to the city? Like like because you, I you're West Coast, or or have you always been New York? I'm from San Francisco originally, and I came to school here. Uh, it's going to be 22 years in like five days. Wow. Happy New York anniversary. Expect for something awful to happen on that day. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> that's how that's how New York rewards you. New, New York never uh, pats you on the back. It always like, hey, 22 years. You're getting ready to step in human fecal matter. I don't know, man. Like, I think New York's rewarded me pretty well. I have the coolest job Truth. in the coolest city and coolest like neighborhood. And I live like 10 blocks away. Like, I love yeah. it Dude, know. that is absolutely amazing. And so, so happy that you're out there doing what you're doing. Like, it's exactly what whiskey needs are people like you doing the good work and pushing it forward. Thank you. I appreciate that.
And thank you so much for coming on today. I, I can't wait to get back up there and come see you in person. Uh, we had a great time last year. Every time I'm in the city now, I'll have to stop by and say hello uh, because the whiskey is phenomenal. I love uh, Basquiat was always like one of my like, you know, I think everybody finds him at one point and is just kind of blown away by what he did. So the fact yeah. that you guys were able to work with his estate and collaborate on this beautiful whiskey uh, and, and there's two bottles. There's this one and then there is the other one. Uh, both are available online, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you can go to the Great Jones website and and pick these bottles up. They are a limited edition, so you need to go now. And you will not regret it as they're both. Uh, this one is super tasty. And I assume if this one's super tasty, the other one is as well. Yep. Um, those two have the same liquid in it. And then one that you can only get in the store here, which has a different label. Do you want to see it? Yes, please. That sounds amazing. Oh, hell yeah. That is absolutely badass right there. So you heard it there. Go to the distillery. They've got more than enough to do. You can spend an entire afternoon just tasting your way through their cocktails, through the whiskey that they make. The food offered is fantastic. Uh, I can't say enough good things about it, and I love the fact that you're doing it in New York City because what's more rock and roll than making whiskey in New York? Very rock and roll. Well, your Thanks hair so metal whiskey is absolutely fantastic. And Selena, <laughs> I am, I'm so happy that you came on and talked to us about it today. Love the work you're doing and can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you Thanks. so very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. It was a real pleasure. Hey, please come back. Yeah, anytime. Awesome. Cheers. There you have it, everybody. That is this week's episode. I want to thank Selena Perez from Great Jones Distilling Company for coming on to the program, for talking New York City whiskey with us and everything it takes to get it done in the Big Apple. Thanks, Selena. It was a pleasure talking to you. I had a great time reliving some of my New York glory days while learning about yours. So thank you so much for uh, sharing some whiskey with us and sharing good conversation with us at the same time. I have a feeling you and I could have probably geeked out over art and whiskey for a lot longer than we went. And that's how you know we were having a good time. It just kept right on a rolling, and I can't wait to do it again. Next time, we'll have to come back to New York for repeal day, and we'll have us a pour in person, possibly while a tarot reader reads our palms or a flapper girl hangs from the ceiling. It depends on what Great Jones has in store, and you never know. It's the city. Anything can happen, and Great Jones is right there in the middle of it. So if you haven't been, go. It's a phenomenal the whole building is impressive. They have just like top to bottom decked it out in all things whiskey. Uh, go have a pour. Go have something to eat. I'm saying it because I've been there and I had a damn good time. So I think if you guys go there, if you're in New York, you'll have a damn good time as well. So thanks again, Great Jones. Thanks, Selena, for coming on the program. It was wonderful talking with you. And we're just getting started for December, guys. We're, te we're, we're rounding the corner on the tail end of season seven. We've got more show for you. We're not slowing down. We've got New Riff. We've got Buzzard's Roost. We've got Old Soul. We've got Few. We've got everybody, man, As along with uh, some comedy uh, surprises along the way. The remainder of this year is just going to be balls to the wall. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep rocking and rolling, drinking all over the country, performing all over the country. It's going to be a damn good time, and we're taking you with us. So if you don't mind, go hit like and subscribe on all of the things. Go tell your friend. Go, hey, you like whiskey? 
listen to the damn bourbon showdown. You'll like it. And they're going to be like, what? That has nothing to do with what we were just talking about. And you're going to be like, it doesn't matter what we were just talking about. Go pour yourself a glass of whiskey and listen to Jesse on the bourbon showdown. It's going to make Christmas dinner awkward, but everybody's going to love it. Everybody's going to have a damn good time. And that's it for this week, guys. We'll see you next week. Again, thanks, Selena and Great Jones for coming on the program. It's that time where we raise a glass and kick some ass. I'll see you guys on down the whiskey road. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Thank <laughs> you.